Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This week, we'll be talking Rooney and Red Wings and U.S. Women's National Team qualification and Lingard and the Insufferables and Sterling and penalty box punishment and soccer and Luca and the Weirdos and Top Gun and previews and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Monday, July 11th in the year 2022? Doing well and happy to be back in the studio. I missed some of these faces that I'm seeing. I know. We are back in our studio. Uh, You can probably hear from the quality. And if you watch, you can definitely see from uh, the set. It is nice to be back. I have uh, have missed it, Uh, you know, the comforts of... uh, this studio. What'd you do, my friend? Uh, what did you watch? What'd you uh, What'd you see? I'm actually still recovering from Saturday. We had a monster workday, MLS doubleheader. And then as soon as we were done, I hopped in an Uber and went to downtown LA. I had a friend's uh, birthday celebration and we went to dinner at this famous restaurant called Bestia, which I had never been to, always wanted to go. First nice. ever nice. meal there. And it lived up to the really? hype. What kind of food? Uh, this was a food orgy. It's a, this fancy Italian restaurant. It was a big group. So they did like a family style thing where they ordered lots of dishes, different courses. They brought them all out. We all shared them. Multiple pasta dishes, duck, branzino, everything. Favorite? If you had to pick one, uh, of them? The, one of them? The duck was to die for. Wow. I'm, I'm salivating. Just, uh, just thinking uh, about it. Keith Costigan showed up late. Uh, and so I didn't eat as much as I wanted to because we decided to save some food for him. I was outvoted on that, but that, that ended up <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, all right. You watch anything? We're taping this on a Monday. Uh, tonight is a big night for me because the final batch of Better Call Saul episodes uh, premiere tonight. Okay. Yeah, there's six left. Do they drop all uh, six at the same time? or uh, No, okay. they're right. going week to week here. Uh, also, the latest episode of that true crime doc, Mind Over Murder, the Beatrice uh, Six yes. that I've been watching, okay. uh, that comes out. Um, I, I found out, by the way, in the previous episode, how these people got out of prison. It had to do with DNA evidence that surfaced. And so, uh, but yeah, no, I'm enjoying that. So when, when it's done, I recommend you binge it. Okay. Um, I have one thing because I'm going to save, uh, you know, the uh, piece de resistance uh, for later on in the show. Uh, the one thing I did watch, though, is, uh, you know, ESPN does a wonderful job over there with the uh, documentaries and the uh, 30 for 30s and the E60 documentaries. So they just came out with one uh, called Red Wings versus uh, Avalanche. 
and um, it is uh, it, it's an incredible look back. And and obviously I'm biased, and it it plays to me being from Detroit. And it goes back into the rivalry of the Red Wings and the Avalanche in the late '90s um, when both of these teams were at their peak. And it's just an amazing <laughs> microscope into. From my perspective, the Detroit Red Wings and Michigan and Detroit culture surrounding that team and what it is, and you know, it's it's focused on this. It, it stems from this one moment with Claude Lemieux. We called him Claude. They called him Claude, Claude or whatever. Lemieux and hitting Chris Draper, who was a player for the Red Wings. And if you are, I, I, whether you're a hockey fan or not, but certainly if you're a hockey fan, and definitely you, if you are a Red Wings or an Avalanche fan, it is uh, it is must see. It's a really cool documentary about that moment. And all of the the ripples that happened because of this one moment and this one hit, and it goes into the backstory and the afterward. To be quite honest, because there is stuff that happened after it, um, but I thought they did it as always a really really good job in documenting that. So that's uh, that's my one thing for today. All right, my friend, uh, you ready to light this candle? Get this thing started. Let's do it. Okay, uh, yeah, don't bore us. Get to the chorus. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, where should we start here? Uh, what do you want to start with? The U.S. Women's National Team. I mean, last week uh, we talked about and I think rightfully praised and congratulated the U.S. Uh, men's under-20 team for qualifying for the under-20 uh, World Cup and obviously qualifying for the Olympics. And this week, I think we should praise and rightfully congratulate the U.S. women's national team for qualifying for next year's 2023 FIFA World Cup out of CONCACAF. Is that a great accomplishment? Not necessarily in that this is to be expected. It was never in doubt they roll over everybody when it comes to CONCACAF other than maybe Canada. So this is not a surprise and shouldn't be a surprise. But it doesn't mean it's not worth celebrating and congratulating because, and certainly from a Fox perspective, broadcasting it, we want to see them in the World Cup and trying to three-peat, which is something that's never been done. Never been done on the men's or women's side. Yeah, the CONCACAF Women's Championship is taking place right now in Monterrey, Mexico. That serves as qualifying for the World Cup. It's eight teams, two groups of four. The top two in each group uh, qualified to the World Cup. So the U.S., they won their first two games, 3-0 over Haiti, 5-0 over Jamaica. By virtue of those two results, they are already assured of uh, finishing in the top two in their group. And so they qualify for the World Cup. The winner of this tournament qualifies directly to the Olympics in 2024. So Alex Morgan has been tweeting that, hey, we still have work to do. Mm -hmm. We want to take care of that. Um, Mexico, by the way, the hosts uh, dropped their first two games. They play the U.S. tonight, presuming they lose that. They will fail to qualify for the World Cup. Right, but that gap Mexican keeps getting bigger. Oh, a men's <laughs> and women's side. Boy, Mexico um, in disarray. Uh, I mentioned Alex Morgan. A couple of overarching themes here. We talked about this youth movement going on, some of the veterans being phased out. But she seems to be a veteran that's really worked her way back into the picture. Well, especially with Macario out. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's a necessity right now. And she seems motivated and, you know, doesn't knock on wood. She stays healthy and continues. But. This is this is great. And it just shows the incredible depth and talent that uh, Vladko Andonovsky has at his disposal. And then Sophia Smith was the star of the show against Jamaica. A couple of goals, including one incredible one. And Vladko, after the game, was talking her up as a potential future best player in the world or one of the best players in the world in the coming years. So, yeah, the U.S. just keeps pumping out uh, talent. Huh? Uh, and uh, congratulations are also in order to Megan Rapino uh, receiving the Medal of Freedom, the first uh, soccer player to ever receive that uh, high honor from uh, the president. And so congratulations to her. She actually skipped a game in order to uh, get that. And, you know, Vladka said, especially when 
you know, you're playing against teams that you're going to beat up on anyway. It made sense. And Vlaco said this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. So congratulations to uh, to Megan Rapino. As I've said before, uh, I got a lot of respect for Megan Rapino in that she has an incredible voice and she uses it. She recognizes her platform uh, and she uses it. I don't agree with a lot of the stuff that she says, um, but I will fight till my dying breath for her to be able to say the things and to have the freedom to say those things. And I love that uh, that she is a big personality and she's bold and she's unafraid uh, and she's fearless in terms of uh, uh, the opinions that he get that she uh, makes and the statements that she makes. And that's obviously why they felt that this was appropriate to award her the uh, the Medal of Freedom. So congratulations to uh, to her. Um, anything else from a, a women's perspective? Because I know Copa America Femenina is going on, too. Yes. Yeah, staying on this women's regional championship tip. Uh, the Copa America Feminina taking place right now in Colombia. We are broadcasting that. Brazil, uh, no Marta. She's injured, so she's not playing this tournament. But still, they've dominated this competition through the years. They're the overwhelming favorites to win it again. And they opened up their campaign with a 4-0 win over Argentina. Looked very strong there. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that. And then the women's Euros also taking place in England right now. Just started. Every team has played once. England uh, beat Austria 1-0 in the opener. Uh, the likes of France, Germany, and Spain looking impressive, although Spain lost their best player, Alexia Puteas, to injury, so that's a tough break for them. But uh, yeah, so women's soccer, really uh, big summer for them here. It, it sort of worked out that way with COVID and postponements and, and the, the World and Cup, the World being, Cup yeah. being in November. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, soccer that's happening. There's a lot of you know wonderful crowds that we were seeing and the, incite, uh, the excitement of these teams and of these nations playing and of these these actual tournaments, because obviously they're not the World Cups, but when you have, you know, the Euros and when you have uh, the Copa Americas, to see that type of excitement and obviously, uh, you know, televising these games, it's great for the game. From our perspective, getting a look at these teams a year before the World Cup. And by the way, uh, next week, we should remind folks, we will be doing a preview because we will be a year out from the World Cup. And so we're going to do a just a preview and a primer, if you will, of the especially the, uh, the, uh, the Women's World Cup team, which, as you mentioned, Mossy, continues to evolve and continues to change and rightly so. Um, yes, there are some usual suspects and you talked about your Alex Morgan and, uh, and Megan Rapinos, but there's a whole new crew of players and incredibly talented players that are saying, hey, it's our time. And they want that platform. And now they've qualified it. So we'll get into that next week. We'll have some guests on that and really give you a, an idea a year out of where this team is and where it is heading uh, relative to the World Cup in uh, the summer of 2023 that, uh, by the way, is going to be co-hosted by Australia and New Zealand. So we're going to be looking forward uh, to that. What else, Masi? Uh, lots of MLS to get to. We had a debate uh off the air. Uh, Luis, I think, wanted to start with some of these big rivalry games, but you and I overruled him. We feel like Wayne Rooney is the biggest MLS story. Well, we're coming on air, and it's kind of broken now that this is happening. They got pictures of him at the airport. DC United has talked about you know, having a, a, a press uh, conference and stuff like that. So it's happening, Mossy. I mean, let's, uh, let's be honest. And uh, my my initial reaction, you know, because we didn't want to bury the lead. This is a big story, and it's just kind of happening as we're, uh, we're coming on air. My, my initial reaction is, great, okay, it's something interesting about DC United, but then my secondary reaction is, if the most interesting part of your team is your coach, then something's wrong. And so he's got his work cut out for him. And, you know, we'll get to the, the results, but it wasn't a great result. Um, and if this is to happen here in the next couple of days, his first game would be against, uh, I think, Minnesota. Uh, and, you know, this is, a, this is a, a former player. This is a player who has had a 
yes, a managerial career, not great in terms of the, the results out there, but not completely horrible. And so this isn't completely out of the realm of possibility, um, but it's, it's a risk. It's a risk for a team that needs something right now. And so at least it makes it interesting and compelling. And for DC United, which hasn't been interesting and compelling for a long time, um, that, that's, I guess that's a good thing. When uh, DC United signed him as a player, you famously said it didn't move the needle for you mm -hmm. in a TMZ interview, I believe yeah. you did at the time. <laughs> Outside of LAX. Ben Olsen fired back at you for that. Right. Uh, he did end up playing very well in MLS. So perhaps, you know, similar dynamic here where people are somewhat skeptical of him coming in as a manager, but he might surprise us. Uh, he did do a pretty good job at Derby County under trying circumstances. They had lots of financial issues, which meant they were deducted lots of points and too many to overcome. And so they ended up getting relegated. But if you had given them the points back that they were deducted, they would have comfortably stayed up. So people that follow closely say that he's actually shown some signs of being a pretty good manager. So we'll see if it translates over here. And it's, you know, again, it's a work in progress. And I, I like any manager, he's going to evolve and, and grow. But it's also this concept that we talk about all the time where can great players become great managers? And yes, we have examples of that, you know, Zidane's and, and to a certain extent, uh, Pep and, uh, and, uh, and maybe Xavi going, uh, going forward here. To a certain extent, Pep. Boy, that what? <laughs> you, 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 you would put him on the level of Xavi or uh, of Zidane? Oh, you're saying because of the player. Yeah, side. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, As yeah, a coach, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> no, no, no I, got, I got it. But I'm saying of great course, players course, becoming, you know, Pep was a... I mean, at very times, good player, not great, Zidane, but okay, level, not Zidane-esque. Okay, so that's that's uh, that's all I'm saying. And I wouldn't even put Pep in relative to being a great player with Rooney. I mean, Rooney is an icon and a legend when it comes to his playing career. And so now that he's transferred into the managerial position, you know, that's there's a question of what can you translate it to others. Anyway, it's going to be fun to see uh, see that. And I think that was important. And I'm glad that you brought that up because that is the news, and certainly going to be the news in the next couple of days while you are listening to this. All right, what else though? Well, so on the field, DC suffered a 7-0 loss to Philadelphia. Carranza with a hat trick. Uh, I mean, it, what can you possibly say about this performance? <laughs> it was embarrassing. It was, um, you know, I, I think ultimately disrespectful to the DC United faithful. Um, there's Look, there's no shame in losing a game in MLS, we know, uh, and certainly on the road to a very good team in Philadelphia and one of, right now, I think you could call one of the elite teams in Major League Soccer. But it had obviously, they, they had no answer and no fight, and it was embarrassing. So, I mean, I'm glad that they recognized that they needed to do something. And I don't know if this accelerated the process of Rooney or not. I mean, it doesn't seem like it because this has happened very quickly. But... If it did, you need look no further than that despicable and horrible performance um, that uh, that shamed the players and shamed the club. Uh, it was rivalry week in MLS. Mm -hmm. uh, two fixtures stood out above the rest. Um, Luis put it in the order of Seattle, Portland first, and then El Trafico second. So he seems to share the Stu Hold Barise do opinion that. Seattle-Portland is the number one rivalry, but uh, you do not share that opinion. You made that very clear on television this past week, and you caused quite a stir with your comments. I don't know if cause a stir. I, I, I always give my opinion, and I, I stand by it. I don't do it to irritate people or rile people up. Now, if that's a byproduct of it, I'm not going to say that it doesn't... <laughs> 
sometimes tickle me when that happens. Uh, but, you know, what is the, uh, you know, me think that that doth protest too much when it comes to uh, the folks up there in Seattle and Portland. My reasoning, and I gave it on air, but I'll give it again here, uh, is threefold. One, um, last time I checked, Cascadia, Seattle, Portland is one of the greenest, most lush places in the world. And yet both of these teams play on an artificial surface. Now that, that in and of itself, does that mean that the rivalry is not great? No, but it is kind of ironic that the place that probably of all places has the ability to grow grass doesn't play on grass. Number two, neither of these teams play on their own or in their own soccer-specific stadium. And we know that that is a huge part of what MLS has become with these cathedrals and these places that have meant so much to the teams. And it does. It changes the experience. It changes the environment. And I know Seattle gets huge crowds, and therefore a typical or traditional soccer-specific stadium wouldn't wouldn't work. Uh, But they're still playing in a football stadium and one that's on uh, artificial uh, turf. I also, and this is where I think, you know, some of the, the the pushback and I guess the controversy would be, is the way that I looked at it in that I think that the LA Traffico with the stars, uh, with the history, the limited history and the old school of LA and the nouveau riche of LAFC, I think it lends itself to being more global, being more international. And I look at the, Uh, Portland-Seattle matchup as being much more provincial. And the reason why I say that is based on, I think, a a prevailing type of attitude that exists up there. And so I said, you know, the overly protective, pretentious, gatekeeping attitude of Seattle-Portland as as markets, as communities, um, I think at times can feel exclusionary and, like I said, provincial. And it makes it harder, I think, for those on the outside um, of the markets to embrace and to connect with it and feel welcomed into the Cascadia tent. And so that's what I said uh, on air. Obviously, my friends up there, the uh, insufferables of Seattle and the weirdos of Portland, they were not happy about that. But it was amazing how much they uh, they pushed back at that. But I, I do feel that they have their thing and there is a exclusivity that they want and, and that they champion, let's be honest. And so... That's the way that if 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 I'm assessing those two rivalries, that's why I go with uh, El Trafico. John Strong always goes to great lengths to remind us that American soccer existed pre-MLS. And mm-hmm. when we talk about Seattle-Portland, he views it as a, as a 50-year rivalry that includes the NASL stuff, and he's always bringing that up. And um, LAFC have only been in existence since 2018, so it must nauseate him for you to put a rivalry involving a team that's only been around since 2018. But, but the but the question was about which is the best one, and I think that there's more people into the tent when it comes to the, the traffic code. That is must-see, okay? I don't think that the Portland-Seattle uh, matchup is must-see other than the people there. And believe me, they are fervent, and they are passionate, and they are emotional about it, and you know, I'm... I actually love the people up there. I I, I enjoy going uh, up there. There's certain parts of it that I that I certainly don't like, and there's certain parts of the behavior and the attitude up there that I do think is 
is not as inclusive as it should be, despite what they champion. I did ask you, I think we played some Nirvana on our... Yeah. And I asked you, Nirvana or Pearl Jam? And you said, none of the above. You're not into grunge music at all. Yeah, I did not like... When when it was good, it was good. So there were certain songs and Alice and you know those type uh, those types of group. But it, relative to uh, Pearl Jam and Nirvana, it's hard for me because I didn't really enjoy either one of them. Um, I just didn't get it. And if I had to go one way, I would probably go with Nirvana because I think there's a little bit more Beatlesque type of influence, which I really like, as opposed to the, you know the Pearl Jam, which is ironically i'm i like the i like the rock part of it but i just kind of liked the melody and the the writing of kurt cobain and uh nirvana uh on the field and i'll go with Luis's order we'll do seattle portland first uh portland won three now at lumen field it's amazing how the road team has dominated this rivalry in recent years and portland might have turned the corner here they won only three of their first 16 games were really struggling but Last four, they've had three wins and one draw. Nias Goda knocking in the goals. Blanco playing well. Eric Williamson has been great in the midfield. They're now just one point below the playoff line. Uh, Seattle, that had won four of six to get above the playoff line, they now dip back below it. Still searching for consistency there post-CCL. So what did you make of this one? I thought that, yeah, I thought it was a very important result for Portland. And yes, maybe they have turned the corner. I don't think this is a great Portland team, but I think that this is certainly a playoff level team that can uh, that can do some damage they need to be firing all on all cylinders which they were the other day you know i mean i, f I think <laughs> first off oh by the way congratulations to uh seattle on uh, Concacaf champions league um they unfurled the or un unveiled the banner which at least it was a big banner okay i'm glad that the banner was big for those that remember back nycfc um did a whole you know, spinal tap Stonehenge type of thing. So it was a big banner. And then they went out and proceeded to get their ass kicked by their biggest rivalry arrival at home in, uh, in Portland. And it was deserved, uh, except for the fact that, you know, moments do change games. Seattle was, they, they got robbed in terms of a penalty. It was a penalty. It should have been a penalty. I saw it. You saw it. The players on the field saw it. The referee did see it, even though he didn't call it in the moment. VAR should have picked it up, if if nothing else, uh, and uh, and they didn't. And that would have obviously changed the direction of the game. This would be the Lodero Van yes. Rankin incident in the first half. I agree. Uh, but so Portland take that 3-0. Um, the night before, uh, El Trafico delivered again. I will say this for the Galaxy. They always show up for these games, yep. regardless of how much better of a team LAFC is. But LAFC did take it 3-2. to two. Cifuentes scored twice. Arango got the other. I do want to ask you about Arango, where you come down on this debate, because Stu and Mo really got into it. With, and I agree with Mo. I don't know what Stu's issue is with this guy. He joined uh, midseason last season, and since then has scored 21 goals in 36 games. And, you know, the LAFC, they have that... Uh, DP spots still to use. I don't know why you would use it on a center forward when you have a guy already delivering that sort of production. To me, a front line of Vela, Bale, and Arango is more than good enough. Use that spot somewhere else. But Stu was bullish that no, the spot they still need to upgrade to win MLS Cup is that center forward spot. He doesn't think Arango is good enough. Well, I think what he, what, he, what he was saying, Stu, what he was saying was that Arango is peaked. Uh, that there, That is the ceiling. And so I think he was looking at it much more from a like maybe a business perspective in sell it while it's hot and it is hot and he keeps scoring. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to use a designated player on a position. That's not 
you know, at least attacking or creative. I, I just, it just in general doesn't mean that they can't do it. And I think John Thorington has done a really, really good job of planning out what he, what he wants to do. Um, but, you know, look, if there, if there is interest right now for Arango, you know, whatever the, put that fee uh, or trading, whatever the value is for him, is it going to increase? Is he going to be a Castellanos? Or is he just going to be this and only get worse? And I think that's where, that's, that's where Stu is coming out. I agree with you that that three up there and you throw Bale in uh, can do a tremendous amount, uh, amount of damage. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if he's going to be, if, that, if he has already hit that ceiling in the way that Stu Holden thinks, uh, thinks that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get rid of him uh, right now because I do think that he can, he can score more goals. And this team has to be built for now and I think is built for doing things now. When I say now, in the next year and a half under, I guess, Bale's contract. And Bale recorded a message for LAFC fans in Spanish, which everybody got a kick out of because a big knock on him in Madrid <laughs> right. was how reluctant he was to speak Spanish. So take that for what you will. Uh, uh, but it was a it was a good scene. It was a good. It wasn't a a great game of soccer, but it was a great game of soccer to watch. The actual playing on the field. I mean, there were lapses, and I thought, you know, I thought the Galaxy kind of had a moment there at the second half credit to Greg Vanny for kind of doing some things and getting them at least back so that they were competitive. And then it just, it went away and LAFC, but they made it competitive. They, uh, they scored goals. They entertained. The crowd was, uh, was awesome. You know, the stars, even the stars that didn't play, you know, bail walking around and after the game, getting water poured on him and screaming and yelling with the, uh, the supporters and Kalini walking around and all that. So they're going to be, they're going to be fun to watch. They are going to be must see. The guy whose birthday party I went to at Bestie on Saturday night uh, works for LAFC. And yeah, th th there's just a real, you could tell, a real feel-good factor with that club right now. They, they are firing in all cylinders. Yeah. yeah. And they've you know, re-signed Vela and all those, uh, all those different things. So that, that is a team that you should watch. Uh, crazy game between Houston and Dallas. Jesus Ferreira thought he had scored a stoppage time winner, but then Houston equalized even later in stoppage time. So it finished 2-2. Hector Herrera came on in the second half and looked really good. Looked so good. Uh, Houston, a lot of excitement in that stadium. You could tell they have something going on right now. They do. And that is, I mean, for a team that has not been relevant, both in market and to anybody else anymore, that's great to see. And so Pat Onstad and company down there are, are doing some, uh, some interesting things to, to create an environment that I guess is reminiscent of back when he and Stu and uh, Di Rosario and Ching and all those were uh, were running around and were winning and giving that city a team to be proud of and one again making it relevant and Herrera coming on he, he looked good so I think he's going to grow into his role with Houston um, but they still got a long way to go to win back the hearts and minds of people and to you know, make us watch on a continual basis. But that game in particular was wonderful in this continued battle for for Texas. And by the way, the the, the the reigning champion, I guess, right now is Austin for what they're doing. If you're if you're looking at those three teams in Texas, well, I'll go there next. Um, Austin three no winners away to Atlanta. Um, uh, Drewsy with another goal. Austin yep. right on the heels of LAFC in those supporter shield standings. But the big story here is Atlanta. Uh, Joseph Martinez went on a rant afterwards about how everything is wrong at this club right now and players don't want to be there and 
he doesn't like the way they're practicing and the way they're playing. There were 68,000 there and they witnessed that debacle. So maybe it's Joseph Martinez. I mean, maybe who, hey, look, it is it is a mess there. And part of me wants to say, hey, with all of the injuries that they have had and that's I think that that is fair for either externally for us to bring up and even internally for them to talk about that. But but there's also enough talent where this team should be scoring more goals. This team should be more dynamic and this team ultimately should be better. And they're not. And in front of 60,000 I mean, 60, people, which is incredible, they laid a big egg. And I know the Austin folks are out there saying, well, why are you, you know, why are you saying it's about how bad Atlanta is as opposed to how good Austin is? Austin has been great. And it's wonderful to see. They are, I mean, they're not necessarily the surprise of, uh, of the year because I think that would be, you know, your Cincinnati's and your RSL's and, and those. But this is, this, is gr- this is great for Austin and this is just continual bad for Atlanta. And, you know, for Carlos Bocanegra, uh, you know, who is now on multiple coaches, uh, he's got to be under pressure right now because it has not worked. And yes, you can blame injuries to a certain extent, but that's not all. And you'll, you'll get a little bit of relief because of uh, the injury situation, but it's, they still should be better. Uh, Toronto surrendered a late equalizer against San Jose, finished 2-2. Toronto making all sorts of moves. They traded Pozuelo to Inter Miami. That freed up a DP slot, which they're going to use on Federico Bernadeschi, a fellow Italian international, will join Insigne there. And they traded for Mark Anthony Kay, so Bob Bradley reunited with his former midfielder at LAFC. Uh, so it's been a rough first season for Bradley there, but he is reshaping the club in his image. Yeah, and I think he would have been the first when he got there to say, hey, listen, we got a lot of work to do. The good part is, is that he went to a team that... <laughs> has a ridiculous amount of money. The amount of money that uh, that they generate up there with you know with Toronto with the uh, the Maple Leafs and all that kind of stuff is just amazing. And more importantly, because we always talk about we love to tell people how to spend their money. And it's not our money, so it's easy. But I love the fact that Toronto is just we're just we're gonna spend money and we're gonna trade away DPs and we're gonna eat this salary and we're gonna eat that in order to get to a place where we have an acceptable team on the field. Now, who knows if they're going to get there, but I'm here for it. And I, um, uh, and since it's not my money and it's their money, I love the fact that they are willing to say, we made a mistake and we're going to pay for it, literally pay for it, but we are going to try to fix that mistake as opposed to just putting some duct tape on it and, and moving on. Uh, a couple more games, and we can wrap it up. Yep. Um, NYCFC got their first win finally under Nick Cushing. They uh, were awarded three penalties against New England, made two out of the three, uh, ended up winning 4-2. Bruce Arena went on a rant afterwards about having to play at Yankee Stadium, having to play at that time. Um, I mean, that's just catnip right for opposing managers to <laughs> rip on that stadium situation. It's Do it when you win, you know? Uh, but when you lose... You lost. You knew it. You knew you were going to a difficult situation and a difficult field. I think everybody, including NYC, recognizes that it's not ideal. Okay. Yeah, by the way, you don't play on grass up there in New England. And it's not the greatest environment in your stadium either. And people figure it out and 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 move on. And look, I, I love Bruce and it's typical Bruce. And I I understand it and it and it's fun to hear. 
but it's it's whining. And stop whining, Bruce. And he's still bitter because NYCFC eliminated them in the playoffs last year. Uh, Columbus was down 2-0 to Chicago, rallied for a 3-2 win. Cucho Hernandez came on and scored the game winner on his debut. That's what you want from a new signing, right? Absolutely. Um, and then last one for me, uh, another game we did on Saturday, expansion Charlotte hammered Nashville 4-1. Charlotte above the playoff line. They are really exceeding all expectations yeah. this season. I mean, we talked about it on air, and, and I will raise my hand. I did not think that Charlotte was going to be this good. This is a team that... You know, despite the, you know, the incredible now history um, and collective understanding of what to do from an expansion perspective, and and the willingness to share those lessons learned, Charlotte said, "No, we're going to go in a different direction. We're going to make our own decisions." And you know, they did it their way, and it's worked for Frank Sinatra, and it has worked for Charlotte. And I didn't think it was going to work, certainly not to this extent uh, and this type of success, but. That environment that they have in their stadium, it's rocking. People are loving it. It, was, it looked hot down there. People with their shirts off and beer flying all over the place. And, you know, even, even some depth there with Ben Bender coming on as a substitute and making a difference. And so um, it's, it's a fun thing what they have going down there. And we'll see if you can sustain it because we've, we've seen plenty of times where you have these, uh, you have these moments. I love bringing up the... Uh, the form guide uh, on on websites, and you could find it on mlssoccer.com. And I used to have back in my 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 um, when I used when I was working with teams, I used to have around my office the color coordinated, basically a, a form guide, and red for loss, yellow for tie, and green for win, just so I could see the rhythm and the flow and the ups and downs and stuff like that, and. You see sometimes how it's relative to the moments in the season and summer and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, so so far, so good for Charlotte. They are sitting at 26 points and sitting in sixth place, as you mentioned, in a playoff spot right now, as are Cincinnati. I think both of those teams will be the surprises this year of Major League Soccer so far. And then in the uh, Western Conference, it would be Austin, as we mentioned, and maybe to a certain extent, um, yeah, that's probably that's... And that's probably the only one in terms of... Oh, and Real Salt Lake uh, under Pablo Mastrani sitting in third place. So those two teams. That All right, anything it. else, Mossy? Nope. All right, let's take a, a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we will talk some European stuff and around the world stuff that's going on, especially transfers, which is all the rage right now. And some Copa Lib, I think. All right, don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
All right, we're back. Time uh, for some transfer news. Uh, where should we start? Over in Europe? Yeah, just to advance uh, the couple of stories we talked about uh, last week involving star players. Neymar is back at PSG. He, he being the professional that he is, he, he came back a week early for preseason. The manager, Christophe Galtier, has been adamant that he wants Neymar on the team. So there's no vibe that he's leaving. I think that's not even a thing anymore. Uh, the Ronaldo situation, though, is interesting. He did not turn up for preseason. They're saying it's because of family reasons. Uh, I saw Eric Ten Hag came out and said that uh, he's had positive conversations with Ronaldo, that they have no intention of selling him. He's on their contract. They expect him to be on the team. But everybody mm. following it seems <laughs> to think, no, that he, he definitely wants to leave. So I don't know. That's one we're just going to have to keep an eye on uh, in the coming weeks. I mean, that'll be a big move because it involves Cristiano Ronaldo, but it is a little strange that he's not there. Uh, Chelsea, who have been linked with Ronaldo, uh, they did complete a move for Raheem Sterling. So, you know, City, they, they add Erlen Holland, but they do lose some production from the wings with Gabriel Jesus and Raheem Sterling, leaving Jesus going to Arsenal to play as a center forward. But uh, so Sterling, I think this is a very good move for Chelsea. I think he'll be productive too. there. Uh, but here in the United States, anytime Chelsea sign an attacking player, our first thought is what Especially does this mean one that for plays Christian, out wide. Yeah. Christian um, yeah, I mean, we're, it's the same conversation we, we're, we're having. It's At, at some point, <laughs> there's going to be so many players that conceivably could play over him that you know he might get shoveled to the side. We already know in terms of how Tuchel feels about him. So Now, Chelsea wanted to sign... Uh, two wingers this summer. They thought they had a deal for Rafinha, but Rafinha uh, was able to stall enough to give Barcelona time to raise the funds. And now the latest reports are that he is going to go to Barcelona. It's funny because Chelsea, they were interested in either Rafinha or Usman Dembele, and they thought at least one of those would fall in their lap because Barcelona couldn't possibly be able to re-sign Dembele and sign Rafinha. And yet it looks like Barcelona are going to do just that. So I, I was at dinner <laughs> last night with a, a friend of mine. And... He, he, at one point, he turned to me and said, I don't understand how Barcelona is able to do this. <laughs> I don't understand how they keep telling us what horrible, uh, you know, fiscal lack of responsibility, I guess it would be, that they have they, that they have put out for so many years now. And yet they, they, they go off and do these things. I don't, I don't I don't know what to tell them. It sounds like what they've done is this. Um, they had created a sec separate company, BLM, Barcelona Licensing and Merchandising, which handles all their marketing stuff. Right. They sold a 49% stake in that company. And then they also sold, I don't know how they were able to do this, but they sold 25% of their La Liga TV revenue. They also, in a separate deal, they have a company called Barca Studios that handles all their TV and digital content, and they sold a stake in that company. Right. So they're making all these moves to raise money now. People but that's that, just raising money, and that's taking away from the overall... People that follow it say, uh, this is looking at it short term, this is going to have terrible long-term consequences for the club. Well, unless but, they unless they truly feel that by doing this, they are going to return to the lofty right. heights and be this incredible juggernaut of money-making yeah, yeah, machine. They seem to be of this mind of just raising money for this summer to be able to sign players and then we'll figure out the rest later on. So that, I suppose, is how they're able to do this. Uh, people keep talking about them activating economic levers, and that's what that means, that making that money available now that they've if earned those If you buy deals. a house, and, <laughs> and then you sell me half of that house, okay, in order to get money to live in that house, we're going to have to sell that at, at a certain point and hope that that house appreciates <laughs> going forward. Otherwise, it's you're you're... you're yeah, it's uh, okay. So to recap, 
they're going to sign Rafinha for what it sounds like could be 75 million euros. They've re-signed Dembele. They've announced two other moves on free transfers, Frank Kessie and Andreas Christensen. They also still want to buy Aspiliqueta, Jules Koundé, and Robert Lewandowski. So somehow a team that's broke is going to have like the busiest summer uh, I've ever seen. Hey, but, as uh, I said before, it's not my money. And I mean... Who knows if there is any money, but but it even if it's even if it's not money, if they're able to do it, it's fine by me. Have as many stars as possible and, and keep doing what you're doing. Uh, one quick note on a former Barcelona player, then we'll, tiv- we'll pivot okay. to talking about Americans. Uh, Danny Alves is out there at 39 years of age, and there are now widespread reports that he's going to sign with Pumas in League MX. Ooh, he's just looking to find somewhere to play the next few months so he can be on the World Cup squad. Chichi wants him to be on that squad, but he's told him, if you're not playing anywhere, I can't take you. So you just got to find somewhere to play. The interesting thing is, there's some reports that the Seattle Sounders were interested as well and that he chose Pumas over Seattle. Remember, those were the two Mm -hmm. CCL finalists. League MX folks are taking that and running with it and calling it a big win for them. Although, you read some other reports saying the Seattle thing wasn't really true and they weren't interested in him. So I don't know what to believe. But uh, keep an eye on that the next few days. Danny Alves could be headed to Mexico. Which right. Is, I mean, it, and if Danny Alves was going to come to MLS, he would want to go where the best rivalry is <laughs> and play on grass in a soccer-specific stadium. <laughs> All right. So some American stuff to get to. All right. Um, we, we talked about this last week, but Luis put it in the rundown again. So it must be something that's... Uh, generating hits uh, on social media because that seems to be the guiding principle behind this podcast. Tyler Adams, it's now official, official. Uh, so he's headed to uh, Leeds. Uh, he'll be playing under Jesse Marsh and alongside Brendan Aronson. A lot of talk on Twitter about the implications of this. Is there going to be an extra spotlight on those guys? Because, you know, if, if Leeds starts to struggle, you, you know, invariably it's going to be blamed on the Americans and this American invasion and it became too American. What say you? Yeah, it's, I mean, I can't remember if we talked about this last week, but if you have Americans involved, either in a ownership capacity, in a coaching capacity, or in a player capacity, there is, there are advantages and disadvantages. Um, But you are ultimately going to be judged in a different way than, I don't know, if you had Brazilians or something like that, or, uh, or, you know, pick your country out there. And so the, the good is going to be relative to having Americans there. But also, if it goes bad, the first thing that's going to be pointed at is, well, you have an American manager or you have a bunch of Americans playing uh, playing out there. Or, hey, uh, you have American ownership and they don't know what they're doing. And so, yeah, but that's nothing, that's nothing new. You accept that that comes with it. I'm still here, as I said before, Leeds, a once great club. And I'm talking about back in the 70s and 80s, Leeds permeated into my little suburban existence as a club. But now I am watching Leeds. I am watching, I started watching Leeds because of Jesse. And I'm talking about watching Leeds on a consistent basis and actually seeking it out. Okay, not that I didn't know what was going on or that I didn't see results that they had, but now actually seeking it out because there is an American manager. And yeah, maybe because there's American ownership, that's always interesting, not as much as an American manager and certainly not as much as American players who we're going to see in the World Cup uh, going there. And so I'm excited to see those uh, those types of uh, those types of players. But it, it, you know, and everybody's trying to figure out what to call Leeds, Leeds America, Leeds USA, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, come up with a come up with a cool name. It is. This has been pointing out on Twitter. Uh, when you hire a French manager, it's sort of baked in that he's going to want to bring French players to the club. Mm-hmm. When you hire a German manager, it's baked in that he's going to want to bring German players to the club. But for some reason, it's an issue if it's an American manager bringing in American players. 
So as you talk about, there's a- Suck it up, buttercup. Figure <laughs> it out. All right. Um, a couple of other stories involving Americans. Luca Della Torre gets a nice move from Heracles in the Eredivisie to Celta Vigo, who are a mid-table La Liga club. Uh, so he joins the likes of Sergino Dest, Yunus uh, Musa, Matthew Hoppe, although his future is, seems right. to be a bit unsettled at Mallorca. So we've got a little American contingent there in La Liga. Luca De La Torre, a player that really seems to be yeah. rising in the, in the opinion of U.S. national team fans. Yeah, I mean, a sneaky, good, and smart move here for him because it's not you know, a bridge too far. It's obviously a step up. And, you know, Luca, Luca Della Torre, for, for a lot of people, I don't think people are sleeping on him because he has done enough now to really turn heads, and, and rightfully so. But he's still not in that upper echelon yet of automatic starters. And I think, you know, the 11 is what the, uh, well, maybe not up top, but, but I don't think he is yet there. But there's a lot of people that are watching him and certainly have been watching him saying if he continues on the trajectory and if he continues to have those performances with the national team and now with this move to a whole nother level uh, plays and plays consistently that at some point he is going to be that that player that we have to have on the field. Uh, Gio Reyna, uh, the first tweet I saw about this was a tweet refuting it. So uh, this was not a thing for me before it even became a thing, but I guess there were reports about Gio Reyna possibly being loaned to Rangers. Uh, bear in mind, that's where his father played. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Rangers did get to the Europa League final last season. So, uh, but still, it, it, that would have been a bit of a head scratcher. Um, Dortmund, I will say, they, they have been active this summer. They brought in Karim Adeyemi. They brought in Holler to replace Holland, but that doesn't really affect Gio. But they brought in Karim Adeyemi. Mukoku is a year older. Uh, Gio is going to have a battle for playing time there. This past season was basically a washout, and so he's going to have to earn a starting spot again. In fact, at the start of this campaign, I don't think he's going to be looked at as a starter just because of all the injury issues he's had. So there's something to the fact that, you know, Gio, that situation bears watching, but, but they hold him in high regard. So then I don't think there's a world in which they would loan him out. And even if they did, I think he would go to a club in one of the top five leagues. I don't think it would be Rangers despite that connection with his dad and all that. Uh, but still, I yeah, mean, what, it's, what did it's you a make strange. of it? It's a little strange. And, and it didn't come on my radar either. So who knows? Maybe Luis is just making this up. I, I, I don't know. But, uh, but, but, it's, but more importantly, when it comes to Gio Reyna, until I actually see Gio Reyna playing in a consistent way, it's it's hard for me to judge him and it's hard for me to picture him with the national team because this is all about November and December. And if even if that loan were to happen, so I don't care where he goes, to be quite honest with you, if he goes anywhere or if he stays. I just I just want him playing. I want to see that he is healthy. I want to see that he's able to play a sustained week after week after week of games and not pull up lane. And unfortunately, we we don't have that because... There's a lot of people that still right now, given all of the injuries and all of the ifs out there, have him in pen starting for the national team. And, you know, the question we've had and the debate we've had is, OK, fine, but where is he starting? And then who does that who does that leave out? But there's a lot of people that, that seem to think that come November and December, Gio Reyna is going to be healthy and he is going to be starting for uh, for Greg Berhalter. We'll see. Uh, and then lastly, Copa Lib. Uh, I do want to advance the story because okay. the round of 16 is in the books. Uh, the quarterfinals are set. Um, I've mentioned the big overarching theme has been the unhealthy dominance of Brazilian and Argentinian clubs in recent years. And right on cue, all eight quarterfinalists are from those two countries, five Brazilian 
three Argentinian. However, none of the three Argentinian clubs are named Boca or River. Both crashed out in the round of 16. First time since 2014, neither one will be in the quarterfinals. Boca went out to Corinthians on penalties. It had finished nil-nil in Sao Paulo, so we went back to La Bombonera. Corinthians were missing half their squad, so they parked the bus. Frankly, even if they had all their players, I think they might have approached it the same way. Uh, Benedetto missed a penalty in regulation. Second leg finished nil-nil. We went to penalties. Benedetto had a penalty in the shootout to win it, skied it over the bar. The shootout continued. Corinthians ended up winning it, so Benedetto was the big goat there. Boca crashed out. The manager, Battaglia, got fired the next day. Um, <laughs> and, and then River Plate, um, they had lost the first leg to Vélez Sarsfield 1-0 away. They were trying to overturn that at home. They couldn't. It finished nil-nil, the second leg. They did score a goal late that was controversially ruled out by VAR, so they felt cheated there. But this is a bitter blow for Marcelo Gallardo, who had stuck around another year to try to win the Libertadores. And to twist the knife further, Luis Suarez did give an interview the next morning to Uruguay newspaper Ovacion, in which he confirmed that had River advanced, he was planning to sign with them. But since they're out of the Libertadores, Sorry. Uh, no longer. Sorry. <laughs> um, Brazilian clubs continuing to make moves. I mentioned that uh, last week, I think that Flamengo uh, were near a deal with Arturo Vidal. They did, in fact, sign him. He watched their second leg against Deportivo Tolima from the Maracanã and watched them win 7-1. So already a very strong team without him. And they're adding him and Everton Cebolinha. Palmeiras were the two-time defending champions, beat uh, Cerro Porteño 5-0 in the second leg to complete an 8-0 aggregate triumph. So some of these Brazilian clubs really flexing their muscles. That's been kind of the other big theme that people think there's even some separation between Brazil and Argentina. And I will say, uh, looking at these eight teams left, if you did a power ranking, I think Vélez, Sarsfield, and Tajeres would be seven and eight, just kind of making up the numbers. I think five of the six best teams left in the field are Brazilian, Estudiantes being the only, the only exception. So there is a strong possibility, I would say, for an, a third straight all-Brazilian final. Uh, we'll see. The quarterfinals are in August. You have two all-Brazilian matchups, Palmeiras Atlético Mineiro, Flamengo against Corinthians. Then you have one Brazil versus Argentina, Atlético Paranaense against Estudiantes. And then an all-Argentinian one, Velez against Tajeres. So that's Copa But remember, the winner of this goes to the Club World Cup, potential opponent of Seattle. So that's why there's an American soccer link here. Before we uh, finish up this segment, give me, because you mentioned, you know, all-Brazilian and Argentine, uh, Argentinian teams in the, uh, in the final eight here, right? Um, if you had to rank one through five, the leagues in South America right now. Uh, obviously, Brazil one, Argentina two. Not obviously. Okay, so Brazil one, Argentina two. Yeah. Um, Colombia? I I guess, although their teams have really underperformed in Copa Lib recently. But yeah, I, I'd probably put Colombia. Chile? Colombia, Ecuador, and Paraguay would be the next Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Uruguay also need to be in that conversation. Really? Um, okay. You can think about it. We can talk about it next <laughs> week. I know I put you on the spot here, but it, it shouldn't be a surprise that these teams from Brazil and Argentina are in, you know, the the uh, you know the final rounds of these tournaments. You want you want to spread the wealth, and you want other teams. But I mean, we see it when it comes to Concacaf Champions League, where for the most part it's Mexico and uh, uh, and U.S. and you know sometimes Canadian teams, but so that the big leagues having their teams do well in these tournaments shouldn't be a surprise. And actually, uh, what you just asked me ties into the first Ask Alexi question. Okay, cool. So we'll revisit right. it there. But yeah, I'll have a, let me think about it. Maybe okay. next week I'll have a All right, cool. list for you. Stumped Mossy. All right, we're going to take a quick <laughs> break. When we come back, as Mossy mentioned, we will do our uh, Ask Alexi segment. Don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring? 
Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, we're back. It's time for Ask Alexi. We're cruising along here uh, on uh, the State of Union. Uh, who's first and what's first, Mossy? We got some Twitter questions and some audio questions. First up, a Twitter question. At C. Mikalakis. Um he, he says, Statman Mossy says they wouldn't be interested, but what do you think, Alexi, about a combined Nations League with Conmebol playing competitive uh, games against top-tier teams like Grenada leave the U.S. men's national team ill-equipped for real competitive matches? Bring on Argentina and Brazil. Okay, I've already called out this guy on Twitter for misrepresenting what I said, and he apologized, but Luis couldn't help including that question. Wait, you got an here. apology on Twitter? Well... This guy asked me about a CONMEBOL CONCACAF Nations League, and I merely pointed out to him that CONMEBOL already has plans to join the UEFA Nations League. Right. So that's all I said. I didn't say they wouldn't be interested. I said they, they, they're going elsewhere. It's just a statement of fact, uh, which is interesting, by the way. That, that's a pushback against the World Cup every two years. CONMEBOL and UEFA getting together and trying to organize a combined Nations League, which would function almost as like a second World Cup. They've also organized this Finalissima. So that's all part of this sort of battling between different federations. But this, what he brought up seems to be in the air a lot. Um, uh, whether it is, you know, people hoping that the next Copa America 2024 is a centenario-style tournament that the U.S. and Mexico get to play in. Memo Ochoa came out and said that Mexican clubs need to start playing in the Libertadores again, that they're, they're stagnating by just playing CCL. A lot of people want MLS clubs to play in the Libertadores. And now this guy is bringing up the notion of a combined CONMEBOL CONCACAF Nations League. So big picture, what do you make of all of that? You know, again, it goes back to how much do you value and how much responsibility do you feel to the membership of this club that you have agreed to be in? And this, ha this, this is in play when it comes to Super League. This is in play when it comes to the, when we talked about last week with the Big Ten uh, and what that has become. Everybody looking for greener pastures. Everybody saying, I want to go someplace else because it's going to be better for me, individually me, and not necessarily for the collective. And as a matter of fact, you can make the argument that if and when this exodus happens, what you leave behind is shredded and, and is worse off because of your departure. And if you're okay with that, and all you're thinking about is yourself, and I'm not saying that that's, that, that's wrong, either in a soccer perspective or you know a, a human being perspective out there, because finding better competition and challenging yourself and doing what is right for you sometimes is the absolute right thing to do. But again, so if the U.S. were to do that, and Mexico were to do that, and Canada were to do that, the overall footprint and the overall competition of CONCACAF would suffer. And is that, is that what partners do? Is that what, is that what members do that are part of a community that you have agreed to be a part of? I mean, we've seen it before, and I'm not saying that it wouldn't help uh, the U.S. You know, to your point about whether you know, whether Comnable would want to do this, especially with the way that they're looking at greener pastures uh, right now, uh, I don't know. I'd love to see it purely from a U.S. perspective because, you know, as uh, Ochoa, whoever, you know, 
rightly pointed out, it, it makes you better. And there will be more quality games against quality competition than exist right now. But again, if you, if you don't feel a sense of responsibility to help your membership of your confederation, then, you know, go on and, and, and go and do it. Uh, next up, another Twitter question. At Corey Clayton asks, what are your thoughts on the new MLS Next Pro rule mandating a three-minute sideline sit-down for anyone treated for an injury on the field? Why not just add three minutes of stoppage time to keep it fair competitively? Um, I, well, first off, I love the... F- I love the concept of using MLS Next Pro as, and that's not a nice phrase, but as a guinea pig. I, I like that we have a incubator, if you will, to do some different things, to test some different things out. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, and, and this this goes a little off a tangent here. I mean, over the last couple of weeks, we have seen. Um, uh, you know, the talk of, of CTE when it comes to soccer players. And we've seen examples that have, uh, that have come out. And, you know, I've, I've often talked about what a soccer game would look like without heading. I would love to see games played either by MLS teams in preseason or with an MLS uh, pro where you use it to try to figure out what it would uh, look like. Um, you know, the concept of a penalty box, a, you know, a uh, sin bin, whatever you want to call it, is not necessarily new in soccer. It's been thrown out there for a while. How it would work in practice, you know, we're, we're going to see maybe to a certain extent, but this will be much more of a, a punishment and a recognition that players milk it on the field, especially when it comes to in- injuries to either stop a play or to waste time and do all that. And if in the back of your mind, you know that I can go down and I'm going to be out for three minutes, maybe you're less liable to stay down. Uh, maybe you're less liable to do the flips and to milk it. But a part of me is also, you know, times players are actually hurt and you're, you're being punished at times for something you may not have been responsible for in terms of a hit or somebody that did something right now. And then you are going to have to spend that time away and your team is going to be hurt because of something that you didn't necessarily have uh, a responsibility for. But, but I think it's worth it. I think it is worth doing it and I'm all for it. Yeah, the powers that be are conducting all these studies on how much time the ball is actually in play in right. these games. And they're very alarmed by those numbers. You know, one of the big appeals of soccer as a spectator sport is supposed to be less stoppages in other sports like baseball and American football. And that's yeah. undermined by, you know, if you have all these injuries, stoppages and, and time wasting. I mean, I know from watching the Copa Libertadores, if you get into the second half of a game and a certain team has the result that they want, the last 30 minutes of the game is them just rolling around the ground and there's like no soccer played. It's all (laughs) stop start. Um, So I agree with you. There are some potential pitfalls here, but I like that they're trying something and we'll see how it goes. And um, the other change they made was regarding the red card rule that in, in MLS now, if you get sent off, you have to serve that suspension the next time you play against that same opponent, oh, interesting! Which is interesting because that is, I mean, that that's actually an interesting. That's it, yeah. That's the idea a, being that some some random team that happens to be next on the right. schedule shouldn't benefit from it. It should be the team that right. induced that red card. If some team is playing LAFC and their striker dribbles past Kalini, he cynically hauls him down. He gets a red card. 
when the next time that team plays LAFC, they should get to face them without Chiellini rather than whoever happened to be next on LAFC schedule. So it, it's an interesting... It is, but the, the problem would be is if I know that getting a red card in that game is not going to affect... It would have to be... If you have a future game, or future, like look, if you're playing, what if you know? What if it's a rivalry? What if, it's, what if the next game is for first place? So, to be honest, I haven't read the fine print on this right. one as much as I read the other one. So we'll we'll do some research on it. But okay. that was the other. Uh, but I like this. I, I I like that people are thinking outside the box. That are thinking of different ways. And I know sometimes it gets people to be grumpy and ah, how dare they change this and change this. But you gotta, you, we gotta grow. We gotta. I will say everybody around the world is frustrated with time wasting. So Mm -hmm. this was the rare American initiative that reading articles about it around the world, people weren't automatically dismissive of it. There were even Eurostops were like, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, something to think about. Or or you go to hockey where the the referee literally stops the clock every single time. I mean, can you imagine how long the game would be? I mean, one of the appealing things, despite the, the time wasting, is relative to other sports that it's two hours. You're you're in and out. I, I can't tell you the amount of people that talk to me about one of the reasons why they like soccer is that it's so much that it's confined to the, the two hours. You get in, you get out. You know pretty much that that's what's what it's going to be, as opposed to so many other games, basketball and football and. Uh, and, and certainly baseball, that you're there hours after hour after hour, and you never know when you're going to leave. So I hope we don't mess with that. Um, what else? All right. We are going to wrap things up with an audio question. Oh, okay. What do we got? Hey, Lexi. Hey, Monsi. This is Bill from Indiana. Hope you guys are doing all right. Hey, I just want to add some commentary to the previous week's show. Uh, and, and don't take this the wrong way. I, I think you guys are great. I love your show. But uh, maybe take this a, a little lighthearted. Isn't a bit funny that... Mossy is being the grumpy old man complaining about uh, the length of trailers in the movie theaters. And it's a bit ironic that at the same time I'm listening to a soccer podcast and I've got to go through 13 and a half minutes before I hear soccer being mentioned. So that's kind of in a way your intro trailers previews, uh, you know, I got a 30 minute ride to work and now half of it was taken up by the movies. Again, not complaining. I think you guys are great. I uh, just thought that was a bit funny. Um, have a good one. Have a good 4th of July. Uh, see you all later. Awesome. Awesome call. I love it, Bill. I love uh, that. You know, first off, when it comes to this, and we've been doing this now a bunch of years, and for those that have been around and listened to it, even for a couple of years, you will know that we have changed. Speaking of evolving and, and growing, and we have changed, and we can certainly benefit from constructive criticism and from input. And we have actually adjusted relative to things that we have seen. Now, it can be dangerous. Uh, you know, that old Aesop's fable about the, the father, the son, and the, the donkey going to, uh, going to market. I won't get into it all, but ultimately the, the moral of the story is uh, if you try to please everyone, oftentimes you will end up pleasing nobody at all. And so we don't, we don't want to constantly make changes simply because somebody says they don't like this. But I love the fact that Bill <laughs> recognizes it. I didn't, I didn't hear it in, the, in that Bill doesn't like the 13 and a half minutes uh, of, of, uh, of talk that we had there. And we're not changing it. Although if you listen, Bill, and you, I, I don't know if you're still listening because you have a 30-minute ride, so you better put it on two times the, the speed. I often listen to podcasts on double the speed. 
But if you are still listening, you will, you will have seen at the beginning of this show that we purposely moved on very, very quickly and got to the chorus, if you will, and didn't bore you with 13 and a half uh, minutes. But this is actually, this is a good, uh, you know, uh, this is a good stepping off point here, Mossy, for my one for the road. Because as we mentioned, I, uh, I, I saw Maverick, I saw Top Gun, okay? And speaking of previews, <laughs> well, let's, I'll tell you why. We'll take a quick break. I'll come back. I'll give him a one for the road and we'll talk about uh, Top Gun Maverick. Don't go anywhere. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we're back and it's the end of the show. And at the end of each and every show, you know, I give you my one for the road. And Bill, if you are still listening, first off, thank you. Thank you for using the uh, the State of the Union podcast hotline. For those that don't know, it's 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. Thank you for, uh, for sending in that audio question. And, you know, yes, we are laughing with you. Uh, 13 and a half minutes means that you actually went back and had to look and measured how long it it actually was. Some It's not always that long. I, I think you will agree. But there are plenty of people that have come up to me and, and talked to me about how much they do like the fact that we give suggestions. As a matter of fact, speaking of changing things, one of the things that we did incorporate into the um, into the podcast because of, of a suggestion of a listener was including the movies and the shows that we watch actually in the weekly wrap-up bio synopsis of what, because some people were like, I don't want to have to go back and, and write down what you said. Could you actually include it in the synopsis? And we've done that. So we are responsive out there to people. I don't think we're going to change what we're doing when it comes to us talking, but he did, you know, he, he did call you out in that, you don't like, and I measured it because I went with my uh, with my son. I measured it. Twenty seven minutes was how long the previews were for Top Gun Maverick. Before I give you my review, anything to say, my friend? If you look at this rundown, there's a bullet point producer's note. I am on Mossy's side for the record. The trailers are too long. That is Luis Aguilar interjecting his opinion on this issue. So Luis Aguilar is to me what Walter Cronkite was to LBJ. If I lose him, then I lose the country, right? but I still have him. I think you both are wrong. Okay. I, I love previews. The more, the better. I have no problem with it. I, I do think that, it, that you should be told and there should be an understanding. I'd still show up because I like seeing the, pre, the, the, the previews. I think it, especially when it comes to the movie experience, because this was my first time back in a movie theater. I just hadn't gone to a, my kids had gone, but I hadn't gone to a, a, a movie in a theater. And we all know that it, it was important to have that. And by the way, this theater was incredible. I mean, it was lazy boys and you put your feet up and all that kind of stuff. So I, I saw Top Gun Maverick in the right way. Mossy, there are, there are things, I know you've been through this in life. There are things in life that get hyped up. There are things in life that you hear about and you can't avoid and everybody is saying wonderful things, such is the case when it comes to Top Gun Maverick. I did not meet a single person over the last, I don't know how long it's been out, 
five months or something that said, maybe not that long. How long? How long? Three months anyway. But, but regardless, in the time that it's been out, I did not meet a single person that did not like it. And let's be honest, for the most part, people loved it. Even if they didn't see it back in the day, even if this was their first exposure to Top Gun. And so I, being the at times jaded cynic that I am, was prepared to be underwhelmed. And I can tell you, my faithful listeners and viewers out there, it was everything and more that was promised. This lived up to the hype from the moment that Tom Cruise came on at the very beginning of the film and introduced us to the film. And you could just see the pride in the way that he was talking to the audience, directly looking at us in what he had done. Now, there was some serendipity in terms of the way that this all came about. He wanted it to be in the theaters. It was delayed multiple times, including the loss of a director, uh, and then obviously COVID. And they couldn't have predicted that this moment would happen in the way that it did. But that it happened makes it that much more special. This was the movie that I needed. This is the movie that I wanted. And what I got was just awesome. And, and, and yes, you know, it was full of stuff that is near and dear to me and speaks to me in terms of America and Americana and the music and the, you know, the speed and the sound and the over-the-topness of it. It was just awesome. And I found myself clapping at times. I found myself tearing up at times. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it, it, it was it was great. Now, is this Citizen Kane? No, but it was certainly never promised to be that. But it was, it was, it was the it was a movie in the the way in which we don't see them anymore, and that made it that made it special. So I cannot recommend this more highly. It was great, and I'm so glad that I did see it in the theater because it probably, you know, I know it won't be, it won't do it justice if you if you see it when it starts to stream and you just see it on your uh, on your regular TV. So it was. It was wonderful, my friend. I agree. I loved it as well. And it got me thinking about Tom Cruise's career. I know the man is a weirdo, but his <laughs> filmography can stack so up like 49 with just about movies anybody. or something like and that. It's something crazy like that. From, from risky business all the way up to. It's insane. I mean, it, there's, there's great commercial fare in there, an iconic franchise in Mission Impossible, these Top Gun movies. There's also like Oscar stuff, Born on yep. the Fourth of July, Rain Man, a transcendent sports movie in Jerry Maguire, um, Magnolia. Kubrick's, he worked with Kubrick, he's worked with everybody. It's Incredible. amazing. Incredible. Men's career is. I mean, he's one of our greatest actors ever. And, you know, that he, that, like I said. A few good men. A few good men. Oh, my God. firm. Oh, it's just so good. So, it, it, it yes, he is a weirdo, but, but he's a, he's a freaking great actor. And this was obviously a labor of love for him. And, you know, Obviously, there's a nostalgia part of it for me, having seen it and having lived through it the first time. And, you know, all the different connections and the Val Kilmer uh, scene, it's just like, oh, my goodness. And um, uh, what's her, Connolly? Is that her name, the, the woman? Jennifer Connolly. Oh, yeah. Terrific. Huh? Gorgeous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God. It's just, just terrific. And that, you know, the way that they interplayed and everything was 
it, it was just it was really cool. And and the the new young cast of characters, which I was ready to hate, uh, um, I, I I enjoyed it. You know, instead of the volleyball scene, there was the the football scene uh, on the beach, and uh, it, it was it was cool. They very smartly kept the focus on Tom Cruise the whole movie. There's a bad version of this movie where they try to give you too much of the younger yep. cast. There could have been like some love story between Miles Teller and that that female pilot. They didn't waste time on nope. any of that. Well, all we care about here is Tom Cruise. So the, the the name of the movie is Top Gun Maverick. So keep it on Maverick. Exactly. It was uh it, it was wonderful. All right. So anyway, if you've made it to the end of the pod, <laughs> and I don't know if Bill is, but I hope Bill's having a good uh, day at work, and maybe he's going to listen to it when he's going home from work here. Uh, there is my uh, review. Now we could have put that at the beginning there for Bill, but. You know, we're going to put it at the end. So we will do that. Uh, before I go, I just want to say thank you. Um, and this is just a, uh, a coda, if you will. I want to say thank you to everybody that uh, got to me on social media. And to be quite honest, <laughs> that texted me, that called me, that emailed me. Um, at times, I've talked uh, about my dog, Bob. Uh, Bob was 18 years old. And Bob passed away uh, a few days ago. Five pounds of fury. And let's be honest, 18 years old for a uh, Yorkshire Terrier, uh, that's a hell of a run. That is a hell of a run for any dog. And Bob did it, speaking of doing it his way, <laughs> he did it his way. For those of you that are out there that are, you know lost pets, it sucks. It's, it's, there's no way around it. It sucks. But I think Bob would have absolutely been chuffed and just loved the fact that so many people out there uh, reached out. And I had, like I said, I had kind of put him out there on social media. And I even had no idea that that he had resonated <laughs> with anybody out there. Um, and so to see, you know, literally the thousands of, of likes and comments and, and all that kind of stuff, um, Bob would have uh, given you the paw up pissed on your carpet and then uh, walked away to his next adventure because that's what uh, that's what Bob did. So uh, thank you, Bob. We love you, Bob. Uh, rest in peace, uh, Bob Lawless. 18 years. I got him right as I right after I retired. He was uh, there before our kids. And as I said, he just uh, he, he had a mind of his own. He from a soccer perspective, Bob had been in front offices of the San Jose Earthquakes multiple times, the Metro Stars, the Red Bulls, and obviously the Galaxy. So he he saw a lot of soccer in his 18 years. And he had, as I've said many times, plenty of thoughts on uh, on the game out there. So rest in peace, Bob. And thank you to everybody out there. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. Uh, we come to the end of yet another show. Thank you for writing and reviewing and subscribing and rating and doing all those different things. We do listen to you and we do adjust at times in order to make it better because we do want to make it better and we can certainly be, uh, be swayed out there. But whether you're sending in Twitter questions, uh, whether you're sending in audio questions, by the way, 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297, our State of the Union podcast hotline. Keep those coming. We will talk to you and see you again, same time, same place here next week on the State of the Union. And until then, and as always, size the day.